The Living Church, serving the Episcopal Church and Anglican Communion since 1878. Welcome to The Living Church Podcast. Happy Advent, folks. Almost, almost Merry Christmas, but we'll wait on that. However, we do have for you today what we think is a pretty nice Christmas present. You can open it early, but first, let me do the thing that's really gauche to do with presents and tell you where we got it from and how valuable we think it is. Today's episode has its origins in the most recent meeting of the Living Church Foundation. Now, hearing that, some of you are already excited, and some of you are feeling less than stimulated by this prospect. What? A board meeting? A foundation? What, what is this? You talked about the budget, you voted on some stuff, and then you recorded for a podcast? Well, just wait a second. The Living Church Foundation, if you're not familiar with it at all, is a beautifully diverse and dynamic group of leaders from around the communion. They're parish priests, they're business people, archbishops, prayer warriors, moms and dads, educators, organizers, and they're all dedicated to friendship, to the thriving of the communion, and to the visible unity of the Church of God. And these are the people who help set and lead the vision for the Living Church. So, yes, after we discussed the budget and voted on some stuff, we moved to a discussion of synodality. What does it mean to walk together as Christians, as Anglicans in this moment? And this is the Christmas present that we have for you today. Four of our bishops on the foundation gave us their thoughts on this topic. The Right Reverend Rowan Williams joined us from Wales, the Right Reverend Sammy Shahada from Egypt, the Right Reverend Joseph Wandera from Kenya, and the Right Reverend John Bauerschmidt from Nashville. Then we opened it up to the wider group, and the conversation was rich, nuanced. It was patient and deeply encouraging. I was a fly on the wall in this conversation, and I was moved and challenged by it, and I wanted to give you the chance to be in the room too. Some of the presentation that you'll hear today is almost devotional, and some gets really into the nitty-gritty of the history and current strategies aimed at synodality globally. Our executive director, Christopher Wells, makes some opening remarks to kick us off and introduces each of our speakers along the way. And the episode is longer than usual, so I'll go ahead and get out of the way. And if the sound isn't always perfect, we were gathering on Zoom, so I'm sure you understand. Now, go take a brisk evening walk around your neighborhood or start on your Christmas baking and settle in. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Thank you all again for being here. And I'm really excited uh, that we're going to have a sort of roundtable discussion on an important aspect of the church which is the church's vocation to, to walk together, Christians walking together, and sometimes hopefully coming to agreement uh, through various mechanisms, councils, local meetings. Sometimes we call them synods. The, the old ancient Greek word synod does mean literally walking together, synhodos, the common way. And there's a rich discussion of that going on in in the Anglican Communion right now, and ecumenically, and, and really arguably since the um, Jerusalem Council in, in Acts. Think about it as a sort of encouraging theological conversation about the church. Uh, won't always be academic. We have so many interesting leaders here 
at the Living Church Foundation and so many people to draw on. And again, I think it's an opportunity to explore questions, encourage one another, and then hopefully report out to the wider church as well by sharing our conversation when, when appropriate. I, I'd like to walk <laughs> together, if you will, for a moment with um, the Anglican Roman Catholic International Commission's text called Gift of Authority, actually. Uh, it's called The Gift of Authority, uh, 1998. I'd just like to quote a little bit briefly here just to get our topic on the table, and then I'll pass it over to Bishop Rowan, and I'll introduce each of our four bishops a little more as I pass it over to each of them. Here's what the gift of authority says in paragraph 34. In each each local church, all the faithful are called to walk together in Christ. The term synodality indicates the manner in which believers and churches are held together in communion as they do this. It expresses their vocation as people of the way to live, work, and journey together in Christ, who is the way. They, like their predecessors, follow Jesus on the way until he comes again. Slightly different language, in a different part of the text, they suggest, they remind us that the church in its apostolic tradition has both a diachronic and a synchronic aspect. The diachronic, the process of tradition clearly entails the transmission of the gospel from one generation to another. Secondly, if the church, capital C, singular, the church, the one church, is to remain united in the truth, It must also entail the communion of the churches in all places in that one gospel. And that's the synchronic. They say both are necessary for the Catholicity of the church, the diachronic and the synchronic aspects of communion and tradition. What might that mean? I'll just want to, I just want to say three notes that they say further about what that means. One is it means God calls all churches to be mutually interdependent, they say. They say this is an aspect of the reality of the church. No church is really self-sufficient. Interesting idea, especially given denominational realities. Uh, Secondly, they say bishops are very critical. The visible contact point, since Episcopal ministry serves communion within and among the local churches, and um, bishops are incorporated into a college of bishops. Um, Lastly, they say there are sort of, you know, concentric circles of synodality. Some, it begins properly locally, again, even at diocesan councils and so forth, then maybe regions, provinces, uh, worldwide. You think about worldwide denominations like the Anglican Communion, but the work still isn't done because you still have ecumenical synodality, potentially a universal council. Would that ever happen again? So there are lots of questions of judgment and discernment here, and we won't solve them all today. I want to just assure you that uh, our task here is to encourage one another, convivial, encouraging, poking and prodding at some of these questions. And I'm hoping we can open up some imaginative vistas, if you will, that would help us uh, move forward to teach and encourage one another in this next season of our churches and of the Anglican Communion. So Bishop Rowan Williams, 
we're so honored to have you with us, Rowan, on this foundation and as a friend and teacher uh, for all of us, for, for, for many of us, for many, many years. Um, of course, Bishop Rowan was the 104th Archbishop of Canterbury from 2003 to 2012. He's now um, putatively retired in Wales, uh, but as productive as ever. Uh, author of many books, books on Teresa of Avila, St. Augustine of Hippo, Dostoevsky, St. Benedict. Uh, most recently, a very important study of Christology, Christ the Heart of Creation. And recently, Looking East in Winter, a study of Eastern Orthodox Christianity in contemporary guise. And I believe uh, Rowan and Jane also just welcomed their first grandchild in the last few days. So congratulations. And again, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much, Christopher. And thank you, everybody, for the opportunity of being with you for this conversation. A year or so ago, I was invited to speak to the Angelicum College in Rome on the subject of synodality, an Anglican approach to synodality. And what I'd like to do on this occasion is to begin by sharing with you three of the points I tried to draw out in that lecture on synodality, the theological basis of talking about a synodical church. But perhaps the most important thing to say at the outset is that we should not imagine synodality as simply a matter of importing into the church some kind of parliamentary democracy. We're not primarily talking about synodality as a tactic to avoid top-down authoritarian government in the church, though, with the grace of God, that may be part of what it delivers. We are looking, rather, at a form of scrutiny and discernment, and I'd underline those words, scrutiny and discernment in the church, which expresses the very nature of the church. So that, as we've already heard, the word synodos, someone walking together, is for us as Christians, not simply a matter of, as you might say, going for a stroll in the country with friends. There is a hodos, a way that is established for us. And to walk synodically is to walk with Christ. I was delighted to find that in early Christian usage, Christ himself is sometimes called synodos, that is the one who walks with us. And obviously, the story of the road to Emmaus comes to mind immediately there. But that usage tells us quite a lot, I think, about the real theological heart of this concept. Christ is the way. We walk with him, and so we walk synodically. But he is the way because he looks without ceasing towards the Eternal Father. In that wonderful passage in Gregory Dix's Shape of the Liturgy, we're told that there is only ever one coming of Christ in time and eternity. The Son moves towards the Father in love, and in time and eternity brings us with him. That's the heart of the synodical vision. We are walking with Christ, being, being taken by Christ towards the Father. And that means. If Christ is the way because he looks to the Father, if he does what he sees the Father doing, as we read in St. John's Gospel, then our own synodical 
life in the church has to begin in, you might say, a shared looking. Looking together to the Father, looking together to what the Father is doing, looking together to Christ and in Christ. So let's not imagine that a word like synodality simply means how we do our business. Let's remember that it has to begin in that shared gazing into the one everlasting coming of the Son to the Father. It's a long way from that kind of elevated theological language to the realities of most synods, as we all know. But nobody ever said it wasn't. Of course it's a long way. Um, which is as much as to say we have a long path to tread. But unless we can remember in our synodical polity why we are walking together, because we're walking with Christ, then we shall be, I think, frustrated at every turn. So there's my first point. Christ is our synodos. Christ walks with us. We walk with Christ. Christ is hodos, way, because he walks towards the Father with his eyes unflinchingly on the nature, the will, and the works of the Father. We, living synodically in the church, gaze into that same mystery. And then, of course, we seek to share it with one another. Second point. If we are on the way in this sense, then, of course, one implication is that we haven't yet arrived. We are walking, we're discovering, the landscape is unfolding in front of us. But it's not simply a landscape that unfolds in front of us. It's a landscape that unfolds within us and within each of us for one another. As we walk, we share the vision. To put it very, very simply and almost crudely, we nudge one another as we walk and say, have you seen that? Look there. And in that exchange, we hope our own horizons, our own vision and our own commitment are deepened and strengthened. Synodality ought to have something to do with a deep and perhaps sometimes costly recognition of our dependence on one another, each of us being responsible, so far as is humanly possible, for the growth of our Christian neighbor in the way of Christ. So. A synodal practice is something to do with Christian growth, something to do with the recognition that each one of us is still journeying and discovering. Each one of us therefore still needs the Christian other, the Christian neighbor, in order to grow. We know that from our basic theology of the body of Christ, however often we seem to forget it in our debates and dealings with one another. So that is my second point, my second basic theological point about synodality. We are on the way, we are in need of each other's perspective, experience and narrative, all contained within the one way of Christ. We need one another in order to grow. Therefore, part of what happens in synodal practice in a church is that we are built up in Christ. We're not just doing this in order to find a more sustainable and defensible way of making decisions about difficult things. And so third, 
I've attempted to define the nature of synodality in practice as taking counsel in hope. Taking counsel in hope. We take counsel together. We seek to discern together. And we do so in the hope that we are indeed walking with Christ. It's worth engaging in this journeying together because of the confidence that the Christ we walk with is indeed going to the Father, his Father and our Father, his God and our God. And that dimension of hope in our work together, which once again may seem a little bit remote from some of the realities of synodal meetings, that dimension of hope is not only something important for us as members of the body of Christ, it's something important as part of what we share with our world. To act in hope is always good news for the world. If we can explore together with candor, faith, patience, and integrity, we are reminding the human world in which we live that conflict is not the default setting for human beings. Conflict is not to be avoided or denied, but it's not to be regarded as an apocalyptic battle that somebody has to win and somebody has to lose. We walk in hope. We walk in the company of our synodos, the Christ who walks, the risen Christ who walks to Emmaus with his disciples. And so there is in our commitment to synodality a genuine element of seeking, well, in short, to proclaim the resurrection, to proclaim the Christ who has drawn us into his movement, his eternal movement, and therefore to give to church and world a genuine hope of reconciliation. We take counsel in hope. We seek to discern, we seek to scrutinize, we seek to test the spirits. But we do so in a shared hope, a shared, dare I say it, recognition of one another's willingness to walk in that way towards the Father, keeping our eyes on the words and works of our Lord. How all this fleshes itself out in our practice, well, we all know how very imperfect, fragmented, conflict-ridden, and all the rest of it, our practice is. I've noted in my lecture for the Roman College the difficulty sometimes faced in synods by the adoption of what I would regard as very flawed and very unhelpful democratic models. A house of bishops, a house of clergy, and a house of laity, as if there were three kinds of interest to be defended in the church, rather than bishops embedded within their congregations and their colleagues, sharing discernment. I don't make any constitutional proposals here, Life is too short, I sometimes think, and now I'm thankfully retired, and I was very glad that Christopher assured us this wasn't a working party for the Lambeth Conference, because I've, I've done that and I have the scars. <laughs> but I do think it's important that we challenge those moments where we, as I say, we import inappropriate parallels, inappropriate methods into our synodal life, and forget the fundamental orientation of synodality towards the company of Christ on his way to the Father. 
ultimately, the synodia, the walking together, is also the synaxis, the gathering for Thanksgiving, the Eucharistic gathering. And once again, we lose some vital dimension of our understanding of a synodal church if we overlook that Eucharistic focus. Thank you, Bishop Rowan. That was wonderful and rich. Um, I will pass it now to Bishop Bauerschmidt again, uh, Bishop of Tennessee. Um, he is the co-chair of the Anglican Roman Catholic Dialogue here in the U.S., and he was commissioned as a, an Earchum bishop in Rome. Uh, that's the International Anglican Roman Catholic Commission on Unity and Mission. He was also co-chair over the last three years of the Task Force on Communion Across Difference in the Episcopal Church, which was charged with seeking ways forward uh, between Episcopalians who disagree about marriage. Bishop John earned a DPhil from Oxford University. So Bishop John, thank you in advance for your comments. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you for asking me to contribute to this. Uh, wonderful to, to be able to join in this. So I really appreciated uh, both the Christopher, uh, for Christopher's a foregrounding right at the beginning, uh, the scriptural sort of foundation for the notion that we are engaged as Christians in synodality uh, as we walk with Jesus, and as Archbishop uh, Rowan has put it, uh, to um, that, that we're walking with Christ toward toward the Father. Uh, also grateful to uh, to Rowan for mentioning the. International Theological Commission's uh, 2018 document, Synodality in the Life and Mission of the Church, it does seem like synodality has become a big topic uh, and has gathered steam over the last few decades. Uh, I, I love this document uh, from which I've learned a lot, but I'll give you a couple of quotations from it uh, as our Roman Catholic uh, colleagues uh, look anew at the issue of synodality. So here's a wonderful quotation. Synodality is not simply a working procedure, but the particular form in which the church lives and operates. You know, so synodality, as again, as Rowan has said, is it's not a, a technical procedure, but really, as this document suggests, is really built into the Christian life so that we're engaged in synodality you know, whether we're conscious of it or not. It's just part of the Christian life. Uh, and then an, another quotation, and this is going to lead me on a little bit further. Synodality is at the heart of the ecumenical commitment of Christians because it represents an invitation to walk together on the path toward full communion. So our particular churches may have their own uh, versions of synodality, but what this document of the Roman Catholic Church does is raise our sights on the fact that uh, as uh, separated Christians, we are involved in some kind of synodical journey together. That when we talk about synodality, that it does have application to the ecumenical project. So it's built into our Christian life, and then it's also a key part of how we walk forward together as separated churches. Uh, and so here we come to the, the Windsor Report of 2004, 
which also connected the dots between uh, synodality and the particular point that we were uh, at, juncture that we were at in 2004, walking together as a synodical project, and then the specter of amongst the churches of the communion of perhaps walking apart, walking together, synodality, and I guess walking apart would be a kind of asynodality. So this stark sort of contrast uh, that was placed before us by the Windsor Report, uh, I think mostly description, not prescription, but just simply uh, putting it forward. If we don't walk together, we may have to learn how to walk apart. Uh, so then we bring, bring it forward uh, just a little bit further into time, and we have yet another sort of descriptive term that, that orbits around synodality, and that is the notion of walking together at a distance. Again, neither prescription or description, but rather affirmation of the desire of the primates that our churches walk together, even if it is walking at a distance. So something that kind of mediates between uh, the descriptions that uh, were put forth by the Windsor Report in 2004, as, as Anglicans tried to come to grips with uh, the, you know, seeking a common life in the midst of disagreement. Uh, but now this notion of walking uh, together at a distance. And then really to bring a little perspective from the communion partners group in the Episcopal Church and in the Anglican Church in Canada. Um, these are, uh, these are uh, groups within those churches that are attempting to uh, walk together in the midst of uh, the disagreements that we have within our church around human sexuality and perhaps some other things as well, uh, seeking to walk together and to maintain, uh, and this is from uh, a communion partners document from 2018, uh, around the time of our general convention then, of seeking to maintain the highest degree of communion possible, even in the midst of disagreement. And here, I think we're seeing a modeling of what it might mean to walk together at a distance, trying to seek uh, the greatest degree of coherence that is possible, uh, and actually seeking to cohere together as churches, even though we are in the midst of profound disagreement about things that um, arguably are fairly important questions. So how do you walk together at a distance. I think we're in the midst of trying to discover what that's like in, in our various churches and also in our communion as a whole, because these things are within particular churches as well as bearing on uh, how our particular churches walk together. And I think this will continue to be an issue uh, not just in, in, in this context of human sexuality, but in more broadly. And I think also somehow um, 
coming to grips with this is not only the key to our ecclesial life uh, in our particular churches and in our communion, but also ecumenically as we try to find a way to walk together as uh, churches that have been historically divided for hundreds of years. How do we live into the common life we have in Christ? Thank you, Bishop John. That was wonderful. Again, thanks for sharing with us. I'm going to turn it now to Archbishop Sammy Shihada, who's, who I think is with us. Archbishop Sammy, can you, can you hear me? Oh. Yes. <laughs> yes, I can hear you. Let, thank, it's great to have you. Let me just <laughs> introduce you to the group. Archbishop Sammy Shihada is, is the, the primate of the new Anglican province of Alexandria, spanning Egypt, North Africa, and the Horn of Africa. Wonderful, exciting development in the Anglican Communion. Bishop Sammy was the former principal of the Alexandria School of Theology, and he earned a PhD from the University of Birmingham. Um, recently, he was involved in discussions in Cairo over the last several years, really, at successive meetings of, the, of a covenantal structure for the Global South Fellowship of Anglican Churches. That could be a step of um, articulated faith and order among a, a set of churches within, within our communion, which is an interesting development. And um, of course, our Archbishop Shiata is a theologian in his own right, and bef- apart from these ecclesiological questions. So thank you, Bishop Sammy, for being with us. Thank you very much, Dr. Christopher. Wonderful to be with you all. Thank you for your invitation. Just some thoughts about uh, synodality and agreement and working together. And of course, I'm going to talk about the governmental uh, structure because it's the heart of our uh, work in the Global South. Uh, I agree with the, all the definitions. Uh, synods help us to discern in a horizontal method. We journey together. We do mutual service together. And we humbly walk with Christ. And uh, all this uh, help us to learn from each other and to uh, have conversion of thoughts. This is all wonderful definitions. And if we're talking about councils of the early church, uh, or councils today, when we are separated, are we talking about different churches coming together in synods? Are we talking of the same church and meeting in synod as the Anglican communion? It all starts with dialogue. Uh, I think with the point of agreement, we start with dialogue, but it's not at the end of the process. You don't come to a conclusion and then you try to dialogue to convince the other party with your point of view. Uh, any decision has to be approved by uh, the scripture. And this is the, at the heart of the Global South covenantal structure. We met and discussed and reduced after many meetings in Egypt, in Nigeria, in Singapore, uh, a document called Enhancing Ecclesial Responsibility. And this paper led us to uh, produce a covenantal structure. And mainly the covenantal structure is divided into three main sections. After the historical introduction, we have section, and this section is a declaration of faith. Uh, We discovered that some provinces come and go, and we don't know really if they're part of the global south. Do do they believe the same things as we believe, or where we stand 
in the global south in relation to the clearing of faith. So we had like two pages, different items, uh, making sure that we really uh, believe in the authority of the scripture. And we agree on Lambeth Resolution 110, uh, Lambeth 1998. So it's mainly uh, signing this declaration of faith like a covenant to be accountable to each other. And the last Global South meeting we just had last week under the leadership of Archbishop Justin Beddy, uh, South Sudan, we had 15 provinces and one uh, diocese signing on the communique. And they are all, all members of the Global South Fellowship of Anglicans. And the second section is the networking. We divided the networks to three main tracks, mission and evangelism, one track. Worship and liturgy is the second track, and uh, community services and economic empowerment, the third track. So the idea is to create tracks to draw us together and work together uh, as a Global South Fellowship of Anglicans. The third part is the uh, structure. Uh, it's not achieved yet, but the, the simple idea of the structure is to have assembly and to have bishops assembly and to have primates uh, assembly. So you have like three different levels. Uh, we didn't really move into that direction yet. Mainly we talking, we signed the declaration of faith and we are in the process now of creating the networks. Some of the Tracks are working very nicely, like the economic empowerment, uh, theological education, and different groups within the tracks. Uh, working together, I think the model of koinonia is very appropriate to the idea of working together. The church is a as a community reconciled to God and to one another. And our model of koinonia is a model built on the example of God, the Holy Trinity. Can we really say that uh, we have full communion, even within the Anglican communion. Can we say to each other that we believe in ourselves as one holy Catholic and apostolic church? How can we be one when we don't agree on essentials? Is it merely cultural differences? Uh, we are faithful to God's word, and yet we are called to conformity at the same time. Uh, how can we reconcile these two uh, things? We need to share our common life in Christ. The last uh, point is Lambeth. My honest opinion, is Lambeth going to be at just a communion meeting or an instrument of unity? Are we going to be in full communion as we uh, meet in Lambeth? Are we walking together as full members in the body of Christ. What, what does this mean, walking together, when we come together? And we just, sometimes are so uh, different in our understanding. The conversation you're hearing today is at the heart of what we do here at The Living Church. And you can make more conversations like this possible. You can encourage this kind of fellowship and dialogue in the church. You can equip our leaders and grow our news, publishing, and teaching ministries. 
just go to livingchurch.org forward slash donate. And please make the Living Church part of your holiday giving this year. Are you looking for more creative options for your gift this year? Well, you can find out more about planned gifts, gifts of stock, giving to our endowment fund for the formation of young leaders, and other gifts by emailing Christopher Wells at cwells at livingchurch.org. Thank you for your support. Thank you, Bishop Sammy, so much for those thoughts. Now I'm hoping we can um, tag in Bishop Joseph Wandera. Bishop Joseph is um, Bishop of the Anglican Diocese of Mumias in Kenya. His PhD in religious studies is from the University of Cape Town. Uh, Prior to his election as Bishop, uh, Joseph taught for several years at St. Paul's University in Lamuru. Uh, outside Nairobi. It's a leading ecumenical university. He taught courses in religious studies and mission and co-founded and coordinated coordinated the Center for Christian Mission uh, Muslim Relations, the Center for Christian Muslim Relations in East Leh. And Bishop Joseph has been very involved in communion affairs in recent years, and many of us know him from traveling around graciously to attend some of our conferences. And um, again, uh, leading theologian of the next generation in the global south uh, and in and in Africa, so in East Africa. So, thank you, Joseph, for being with us. You're most welcome. Well, um, dear friends, thank you for having me uh, all, all the way from uh, from rural Western Kenya. Uh, while for you, most of you, it's morning. For me, it's. Uh, it's night. Uh, we, we're getting close to uh, 8, 8 p.m. Uh, but very, very privileged to be part of this conversation and to see my sisters and brothers uh, from different parts of the Anglican family. Uh, I think of uh, Synod as family. Working together is being family. Um, and the, the notion of, of family is, is, is so critical. Uh, for my context, uh, is the notion of family is is one that is deeply embedded uh, in our cultural understandings here and expressions that we are really one children of the same the same God. And approaching synod as family is really uh, thinking about expressions in my context: uh, Ubuntu, humanity. Uh, Ujama uh, socialism uh, in uh, in Tanzania, uh, and how this is exp- uh, finds expression uh, in our common life as Anglicans. In my culture, we 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 have some sayings, and one of the sayings, which may appear crude uh, to some of us, is that the person who walks alone is like a beast that walks alone. That when you walk alone, you essentially lose your humanity that human beings are not meant to walk alone. Human beings are created in the image of God as co-workers, as co-partners. And so there's a very deeply embedded theological anthropology there around a synod and walking together. But it's a fundamental aspect of our identity as Christians uh, that we, we walk together. Now, um, at a more experiential level, it seems to me that working together is, is first of all, a source of deep joy. You don't, you don't, you don't work together 
and yet far apart. You, you, you walk together as you celebrate the, the presence of each other. And, and this joy is not artificial joy. Uh, it is joy that emanates from the understanding uh, that we are journeying with the one who described himself as the way, the truth, and the life uh, in John uh, chapter 14, verse 6. So this joy is not just our own joy. It is the realization that in walking together, we are walking with Jesus. We are walking with, uh, with, with, with our Father. And, and, and this joy, then, uh, as we walk together, uh, will play out in our personal relationships, our transformed ways of living, uh, being patient with one another, uh, the exercise of charity, uh, being able to accept difference, uh, but in a charitable way, uh, because the joy that we have is not one that is uh, dependent on circumstances. Uh, it's, it's the joy uh, that we find uh, in, in, in the being of Christ, of, of Christ himself. Uh, and I suppose this joy is one that tra transcends uh, whatever deep theological differences that we might, uh, we might have, the, the realization that there's one who holds the ultimate truth, uh, and his name uh, is, is, is Jesus Christ, uh, our Lord. Uh, and so for me, thinking about working together, thinking about being synodal uh, in, in, in our context, it's about being family, uh, the construction of church as family, and the way I see that, playing out in my own diocese is uh, different home estate groups uh, meeting together different days of the week to study the Bible together uh, and to sing together um, and, and to listen to each other's struggles and joys. Um, and, and in that way, then, we embed working together at the com communal level. So it's not just about the high-powered church councils and, uh, and sort of, and, and and, and the huge decisions that are made there, uh, but, but how the Christian community uh, actually plays out synod in their day-to-day -day, uh, life. Uh, that old lady who is sick uh, in my parish and Christian decide to visit her and pray with her um, uh, is around responding to the needs that are around our, our, our communities. So uh, what I'm essentially trying to do is to try and bring down Synod, bring down synod to the communities, uh, the people of God, their brokenness, their vulnerability, and, and how Christ shines uh, his light uh, around them. Now, I must say that uh, there, there are challenges uh, around synodality, and, and those challenges, we acknowledge them, uh, uh, we have experienced them as an Anglican family, um, individualism. Uh, uh, is one of them, and an unwillingness, unwillingness, so to speak, to be patient and charitable to others who may be different from us, from us. Uh, uh, global poverty, and for those of us in the South, the inequities that we experience on a day-to-day -day basis in, in, our, in our communities. Uh, COVID-19 uh, has, has made uh, the playing out of synodality even much more challenging with churches closed and 
and, and people not able to travel um, and gathering brothers and sisters. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which uh, God has called me in Christ Jesus. And so uh, synodality really as a continuing thing. Uh, it's not an event. It's a process. It's a life journey. Uh, seeking to follow Jesus, uh, to listen to Jesus, and to, and to obey him. Thank you. Thank you, Bishop Joseph. What a gift that was. And uh, all four of you, what a wonderful, rich conversation. I love it. And it'd be better if we were in person, but, but I'll take this for sure. Um, we still have a few minutes and a few of you, a couple of you have texted and said that you're willing to ask a question and, or that you have a question. Um, Bishop Sumner, may I ask you to go first? Thank you. And I want to thank um, our four friends uh, for their uh, words. Uh, I, I heard recently a story about one of the Orthodox archbishops who was asked about synodality, and he said they were very encouraged, they were getting on with it, they were keen, and they believed that the council they were hoping for would happen in the middle of our millennium. Uh, so, you know, a, a good three or four hundred years from now. Um, which is to say, uh, you know, we're, we're iPhone people, we respond immediately. So I want to ask any, all, various of our speakers about patience, time, what rate are we walking? You know those Olympic walkers, they walk, I mean, that's, that's like sprint walking. But um, what kind of walking is this, patience, time, et cetera? Well, uh, uh, thank you, my brother, Bishop George. Uh, and, and, and thank you for hosting me in Dallas. Uh, I think it was a year ago, and, and that is part of synodality. I'm, I'm not quite sure that I've actually understood that question. Mm. It's about the notion of patience yeah. as we work together. I'm not yeah. sure that I've, I've actually got yeah. it. Uh, how, um, how does the process of synodality relate to uh, the virtue of patience? Yes. Absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's, it's impossible to time synodality because synodality is really um, a human experience. It's, it's, it's something that, is, uh, that springs from our hearts uh, and, and, and it's, it's, it's difficult to give it time frames. It's, it's difficult to, to overstructure it, so to speak. I, I, I think a better framework for me is to look up to God and to, and, and to embed our working together in the hope of the resurrected Christ. And, 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 and just to be aware uh, that we are not yet there and yet the Lord is calling us to continue journeying. The Lord is calling us to continue striving. The Lord is calling us to reconciliation. We will walk, we will fall down, we will stand up again and dust ourselves and walk on. So I think that would be my immediate response around patience. It's critical to synodality. Just a very quick word to follow that wonderful response. It seems to me that one of the fundamental things we are bound to say about ourselves and one another in the church is God has not finished with us. He's not finished with me and he's not finished with my neighbor. 
if that's the case, then any kind of premature walking apart, I mean deliberately walking away from one another, however far apart we are, walking right away, is tantamount to saying, well, perhaps God has finished with us, and that's where the patience comes in. And it's, it's a costly patience, because we, as George was saying, we live in an age of quick fixes, instant solutions and slogans. Um, the notion that we abide with one another in a body that is continually growing, that we still trust that God has something to give us in the Christian neighbor, however difficult the relationship is, I think that that is fundamental to understanding what a synodal church actually is and what it means. And I'm very interested by this conversation about the Global South's covenantal ideas. In a way, I suppose, what I was trying to do from time to time when I was archbishop was to say there are inevitably going to be closer and more distant relations in a church like the one we're in. Um, we're not all going to be on the same page, and that's not meant to be a, a prescriptive observation. It's just how things are. But the question then is, how do we maintain the confidence, as Bishop Joseph has wonderfully said, the confidence in God, the God who has not finished dealing with us? And that's, that's, where, the, that's where the good news comes in in synodality. I'd like to call on Father Stuart Clem. He has a question or something he'd like to say. Thanks, Christopher. Uh, and thanks, thanks to all of our speakers. This was uh, really rich, a lot, a lot to think about. My my question is, it's for Rowan Williams. It seems clear from your remarks that walking together requires trust. We trust one another that we are striving to walk with Christ, who will lead us to the Father. My question is this: is is mutual trust a sufficient condition for synodality, or merely a necessary condition? And if it's the latter, what other conditions might we also identify? Thank you. That's a wonderful question. Um, and I hadn't put it to myself in those terms, so thank you for um, helping me think forward. Clearly a sufficient condition, it probably, uh, sorry, clearly a necessary condition, probably not a sufficient condition, because it's not just trust in general. I think it's trust that in the Christian neighbor, it is Christ that I am recognizing. And that requires a little bit more spiritual imagination and and work to discern what may sometimes seem a long way off. So I think it's, in a sense, it's incumbent on all of us in a divided and sometimes quarrelsome church to ask, how is my discipleship seen and heard? Is it recognizable to my Christian neighbor? Just as I have to ask, how do I train myself in recognizing the, the strange dialect of, of a neighbor, the strange accent in which the word of God is spoken. But you're right that trust is essential in this process. And that's why I think one of the questions which we don't often enough examine in the context of the communion and indeed the wider church is what kinds of decision, what kinds of statement, what kinds of development actually undermine trust. And how do we rebuild it when it's gone? I'm thinking here of not just of our own history, but of course of the long history of the wider church, the fact that what in the early Middle Ages 
the Western churches thought of as a fairly harmless gloss on the creed, the filioque clause, was regarded by the Eastern Christian world, in effect, as a betrayal of trust. Here were the Western churches, without consultation, tacking something onto the, the ecumenical creed. What did, what did they think they were doing? What sort of claims were they making? And even without the, the help of Twitter and social media in those days, it was quite easy to diffuse lots of misinformation. But always to ask, am I making it easier or harder to be recognizable and to be trustworthy? That has to be somehow part of the, part of the agenda. And that can be not so much in the, the substance of what we decide, but in the means by which we decide or communicate. And it's not certainly, a, it's not a, an alibi for never doing anything or never creating any divisive polity. Look at the history of the ordination of women. But if you're going to do that, you've got a lot of work ahead of you to, to build the bridges, to, to consolidate the recognition, to restore the trust. Bishop Christopher Coxworth, did you have a question or comment you wanted to make? Thank you, Christopher. The, the main comment is, is to echo your comment about this being a great gift, um, you know, a, a wonderful um, session. I'm grateful to, to, to everyone who's spoken, um, including the, the questioners, um, but also to uh, the, the Episcopalian um, lectionary for Ephesians 4 uh, today, which I thought, you know, in many ways said it all and beautifully expounded by Bishop John. I, I have found this, the, the broadening understanding of synodality that's been expressed by, um, by Bishop John and by Rowan and by Sammy and by Joseph, really uh, inspiring, I, I would say. Um, healing, I, I would also say. Um, we've all experienced some of the frustrations of um, synods. And uh, I think, yes, I'll say bravely, none more so than in the Church of England. Um, partly because, as Verone says, uh, we do have those parliamentary procedures imported into the way we, uh, we try to walk together. Um, so I have found that broadening really healing. Uh, at the same time, my question is a, is a sort of rather self-centred, which I suppose is the opposite of synodality. And it, it's, it's about... And it, it, it's a sort of predictable ecclesiological question, really, but it's about the bishop uh, in Synod. And uh, uh, just speaking very personally, I, I've, just, I've recently returned from a sabbatical, um, and I've been now in Coventry for 14 years, and I'm, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm wanting to, and we're now sort of in this semi-post-COVID situation, I, I'd like to find a way of leading the diocese which is truly synodical. And I'd like our diocesan synod, new, you know, the new diocesan synod, um, to, 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 to get something somewhere closer to uh, where, you know, we've been led today rather than just a sort of council. And I think it, 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 it's really the question of what, what does all this say? What, what does synodality say about bishops in the life of the church and in relation to churches? How, how does it situate us? And, and how can we be better? How can I be a better bishop in uh, Synod? Thank you. Go ahead, Bishop John. Yeah. Well, I can try to respond to that. 
I'll approach anecdotally. When I, when I arrived in my diocese 15 years ago, one of the experienced priests in our diocese came and said, Bishop, what you need to do is to have a mandatory meeting of the clergy to talk about trust. <laughs> I, I hope you can, I mean, I, I didn't smile uh, or, or even laugh aloud, but I mean, it just simply doesn't work to have a mandatory meeting on trust because trust is not something that you can command. Uh, and this connects to what uh, what Rowan has said about uh, you know are are we are we perceived by others you know how are we perceived are we perceived as trustworthy and the I mean I think building trust is always when you're talking about the bishop in the diocese with the clergy with lay people uh, the whole system trust is absolutely essential. Uh, you know, it's essential for synodality for the life of the particular church uh, of the local church. And how do you how do you build trust? You can't command it. You can't order it up. You cannot force anybody to trust you. It just has to develop. And that also maybe relates to the question of patience, which is that it takes time to create trust probably essential for the Christian life. If we're going to walk together, we're going to, we're going to need to trust each other and we're going to need to do things that are perceived as trustworthy so that others are able to give us the gift of their trust. Christopher, I, I really welcomed the, the way you phrased the question. And another way of putting the question really is how do you as bishop walk with your synod. Um, in other words, how does your own journey with Christ become a journey with them? How do you share that looking towards Christ, looking towards the Father through Christ? It, it's a very obvious thing, and you, you know better than I how it can work. When you do try to create or encourage partnership and sharing between members of synods so that they meet one another, not simply as elected representatives of a party or a point of view, but as brothers and sisters in Christ. What are the opportunities for that that synodical processes give? Not enough is the short answer. And you get the worship over quickly at the beginning of the meeting, and then, phew, you don't have to think about God for the rest of the day. That's a caricature, but you, you know how it works, as I say. And to, to build something a bit deeper in, to pause for those moments where people really have to relate to one another as fellow members of the body and yourself in that. That's surely a part of it, isn't it? And I, I guess you'll remember, Christopher, that um, at some of our House of Bishops meetings, the moments we shared in Lectio Divina could be very precious oases in the middle of sometimes arid and unrewarding procedures. I think the flip side is that being synodal uh, also is about being vulnerable. There's a certain level of vulnerability uh, that we must allow ourselves uh, to as part of working together. We, 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 we shall make mistakes. We shall be misunderstood or shall misunderstand others. Relationships it can be can be damaged and people can be hurt, uh, and, and that and, and and that is 
being vulnerable, that is being exposed. And, and there's something that we must put into the, the framework of, of working together. Uh, because if we do not do that, then we, we end up with a straight jacket that, that really denies our humanity um, and, and the fact that at the end of all things, we all stand at the cross of Christ. We are, um, we're basically out of time, friends. So it's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you all. And um, really, uh, it's amazing what the internet can do um, and the communion and friendship we share here. And I'm grateful for all of you. Maybe I'll just say at the end that we, we placed ecumenism and Christian unity at the center of the mission of the living church. And one of my favorite texts, moments in the Anglican Covenant uh, text from 2009, is where it talks about the ecumenical vocation of Anglicanism. It talks about uh, the rich history of the church in Britain and Ireland, reshaped by the Reformation, and our growth into a global communion through the expanding missionary work of the church. Uh, and our ongoing refashioning by the Holy Spirit. I think that can be helpful and encouraging to us sometimes, especially when we run into the frustrations of our local synods, or even some of the disappointments or fears about what Anglicans may be capable of, to remember that God has one church and that we are called to be with one another and patient, but also that we're already maybe placed into one body already with the other Christians. And also, Christian ecumenism helps us think about degrees of communion. And so we don't always have to share everything or have a fullness to recognize other Christians as baptized. Uh, Christians who have faith and who are called to love and work together with as much as possible. And we've had wonderful short homilies, really. So thank you, friends. And um, Bishop Sammy, would you be willing to say a prayer for us at the end of the meeting? Okay. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. We praise you, Lord, and bless your name. Thank you, Lord, for uh, counsel. We've been uh, meeting and discussing and looking ahead for the future. Help us, Lord, and draw us together uh, in communion, in full communion, as we journey together in the way. Uh, help us, Lord, to take decision for you and to work in harmony. Bless us, Lord, as we uh, keep your words and um, follow the vision you give us. I pray especially for the Living Church Foundation and the group and all those who are committed to this ministry of unity, of coming together to glorify your name, for more unity, and, uh, for the world to see that we are one. Bless us, Lord, and use us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Living Church Podcast. This is a ministry of the Living Church Institute. Again, you can do some holiday giving to the Living Church by going to livingchurch.org forward slash donate or by emailing Christopher Wells at cwells at livingchurch.org or by clicking the link in the show notes. We'll be taking a short break for the holidays, but we'll be back mid-January with some epiphany-appropriate conversations on preaching, liturgy, witness, and mission. Can't wait to welcome you back. May our Lord grant you a very holy Advent and a very Merry Christmas and Feast of the Nativity. As always, I'm Amber Noel, your host, and it's been great to be with you. Peace. Peace.